Welcome back. Um, today we're going to continue our discussion of Pride and Prejudice. Last, uh, our last podcast we did the um, theme song for Lizzie and Darcy. This time what we'd like to do is we're going to just talk a little bit about the book and, and some of the different ways that the, the book can be helpful um, from my perspective as a therapist and ways that I might use this book um, either theoretically or uh, or use it as a tool to help clients make make changes in their lives. And Seth's going to talk a little bit just uh, about um, the more of a, a critical review of the book itself. So we're going to start with Seth and let him talk a little bit about the book, after which I will uh, talk just a little bit about uh, one of the theoretical models that I've developed, and it's just a model that the book really uh, illustrates very well, and we'll go into that just a little bit. All right, so um, I have to be completely honest. I haven't read this book in a couple years, uh, so I'm not completely um, up to date with uh, all of the specific... Uh, all of the specifics um but what i do know is uh what uh approaching the story from more of a critical perspective uh when you're approaching something in the romance genre um uh which um this book actually wouldn't have been considered specifically a romance at the time it was written because that term applied more to uh, exciting adventure style stories um, and they didn't really have genre distinctions in the same way uh, but it's a story about a romance it's about um, uh, Elizabeth and uh, Mr. Darcy uh, and their relationship and when you're approaching a story that the entire story is about a relationship you have to ask how uh, how is the this relationship being portrayed and how does that um, that feed into the entire story as an overall narrative um, so uh, with Pride and Prejudice I think one of the things that makes it so great as a story is how um, how real Elizabeth and Darcy's relationship is with each other while still being incredibly entertaining because a lot of stories fall into basically one of two different holes that you either have romance stories that are way romanticized that everything is completely ridiculous in terms of being like nothing like the way that an actual romance is at all likely to play out um, and uh, it almost feels like there's uh, in those kinds of stories, like, there's almost no real emotion at play other than just passion. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you have things that try maybe to be a little bit too realistic, and it gets a bit boring. It's it's not all that entertaining. Uh, and so Pride and Prejudice um, has does a really good job of maintaining a balance between these two things. And one thing I think that makes that possible is its initial hook. It has an idea of a particular setup that makes the romance itself interesting beyond just two people getting together, which is 
this idea, as we've talked about before, of the first impression, the scene when Elizabeth and Darcy first meet each other, and they have completely incorrect views of who the other person is that get in the way of them being able to really understand each other. And the entire rest of the story is focused around this one idea, this one hook. So you can always think back to that and be excited to see what happens next. When do they start being able to understand each other properly? Absolutely. I, th I think that's great. And in fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that first meeting again today with in, in terms of um, what I want to talk to you about. And what, what I want to really bring up is the, a theory that I've developed or, or a tool that I've developed that I call the five levels of consciousness. And the five levels of consciousness is just a simple way to understand all the different aspects of uh, human nature that helps you know break them down so that they're easier to understand rather than this big conglomerate. And so um, I want to just share that with you and then we're going to go into the first level today and just talk about that in relation to this book and how Jane Austen actually uses each of these levels of consciousness as she writes her, her books. Um, so the, the levels of consciousness are first your actions. That's everything that you say or do. So words and act, word, words and actions are, are the same. They, they are in the same group. And those are, uh, words and actions are level one. They're the level that is uh, observable to everybody around you. You're, you're going to find that all the other levels of consciousness are, are not observable. Other people can't see them. They're all internal. But your actions and your words, that's the one external level of consciousness that you have. Well, level five is a little bit that way too, but, but uh, level one primarily. And the other thing about it is not only is it what you share with other people, but it's also what you have complete control of. There's a lot of those internal things that you're dealing with, you don't have complete control of that. Uh, but your actions you do, what you say and what you do is up to you. Right. Um, and that uh, thing about the levels of con or the first level of consciousness being um, the the only one that other people can observe is exactly what this entire story is based on. That you have, as I was talking about, you have this first impression that Elizabeth and Mister Darcy are seeing what the other person is saying and doing, but they can't see anything else beneath the surface initially. The only way to do that is to get to know them better through their actions and try to deduce a little bit more about what they might be uh, thinking or feeling, which I think are the next couple levels of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's exactly true. That's exactly what's happening is Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy are meeting each other. They're seeing each other's actions. And, and, and that's where judgment comes to. We judge each other based on our actions. We can't, we can't judge each other based on anything else because we can't see anything else. We can't see our thoughts and our feelings and all these underlying things. All we see are the actions. And so we judge each other based on our actions. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes people think, oh, you're not supposed to judge. Well, scripturally, you're not supposed to judge as in condemn somebody to hell, but you have to judge people based on their actions. That's the only way we can judge people and, 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 under, and understand people. Right. And the term judge here does apply not just to uh, thinking well or poorly of someone. It's also just our entire perception of who they are. You might judge 
that someone is uh, a likes music because you hear them listening to music all the time or playing the piano. Right. And so that's the things we have to, that's how we understand people and how we judge them. So having said that, let's talk just a little bit. Um, oh, so this is level one. I'm just going to really quickly run through levels two through five so that everybody knows what they are and know what we're going to cover in the, ne- in the future. So level two are level two are our thoughts. Um, level three are our feelings and feelings include both our physical sensations as well as our emotions. Level four is what we call the context, and some psychologists would call it worldview. It's kind of a similar thing. Your context is really how you understand the world and your place in the world. Um, and, and there's a lot that goes into that, and we'll get, into, we'll get into that when we get to level four. And level five is your unconscious. That's everything that you do without thinking about it. And we'll get more into that as well when we get to that level. But today I wanted to talk two things I wanted to take, take from the book uh, about about level one. And the first one is, is what Seth had mentioned earlier, that when Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy are thrust together for the first time, it's at the Meriton Ball. And um, Elizabeth is, Dan- she, she's, she's actually very popular in, in Meriton and, and in Brighton, not Brighton, in, in, Mer- in the town of Meriton and their, and their community. Um, she and Jane are, are probably two of the more popular girls in the town. But because there are a lot more women than there are men, she is forced to sit out for uh, a set of dances. And at the time, you a dance you would have a man would have asked a girl to dance a set of dances. And so, sitting out a, two dances just means that there was one one point where she was she wasn't asked to dance. So as she's sitting out that one set of dances, Mr. Bingley who has been dancing with Jane, uh, tries to get Mr. Darcy to ask Elizabeth to dance. And Mr. Darcy's response to Mr. Bingley is so famous and it's so well known that, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. But, um, so he says, uh, well, Mr. Bingley says, look over there, her, there's her sister. She's pretty. Uh, and he says, she's, Tolerable, I suppose, but not handsome enough to tempt me. Um, and and that and that being an action, right? Because it's words that he's saying aloud. Elizabeth is able to observe that because it's an it's an observable action, and she's able to make her judgment uh, about Mr. Darcy, and she bases almost her entire judgment on that comment. Um, now, not entirely, because I want to I want to read something here. From the book, um, this is, uh, I, I believe this is in chapter three, might be in chapter two. Now that I've got it pulled up, I can't, I can't remember. But uh, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's basically a couple of paragraphs that I want to read to you. And this is going to tell us some about level one and how the people of Meriton judge these two men based on their actions at the Meriton Ball. It says, 
Uh, Mr. Bingley was good-looking and gentlemanlike. He had a pleasant countenance and easy, unaffected manners. His sisters were fine women with an air of decided fashion. His brother-in-law, Mr. Hurst, merely looked the gentleman. But his friend, Mr. Darcy, soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person, handsome features, noble mien, and the report which was in general circulation within five minutes after his entrance of his having ten thousand a year. The gentleman pronounced him to be a fine figure of a man. The ladies declared he was much handsomer than Mr. Bingley, and he was looked at with great admiration for about half the evening, till his manners gave a disgust which turned the tide of his popularity, for he was discovered to be proud, to be above his company, and above being pleased, and not at all uh, and not at all his large estate in Derbyshire, not all his large estate in Derbyshire could then save him from having a most for, uh, forbidding, disagreeable countenance and being unworthy to be compared with his friend. So, so, so we see here that Mr. Darcy is being judged based on his actions, right? He's not dancing. It'll, and it goes on and says, uh, why did they? Why was it that they decided this of him? Well, it's because he only he only danced with Miss Hurst, Mrs. Hurst, and Miss Bingley. Never danced with anybody from Meryton. He only talked with his only with his own party, and even then, only occasionally, and mostly he walked about looking really grumpy. <laughs> and so it was these actions of his that the Meriton people um, were, were judging him by. And their judgment of him was that he was prideful, that he was um, above his company. Uh, he wasn't pleased with the people. Um, and, and so it, all in all, he, they decided that he wasn't uh, a, a somebody they wanted to associate with. Now, the, the following paragraph reads, Mr. Bingley had soon made himself acquainted with all the principal people in the room. He was lively and unreserved, danced every dance, was angry that the ball closed so early, and talked of giving one himself at Netherfield. Such amiable qualities must speak for themselves. What a contrast between him and his friend. Mr. Darcy danced only once with Mrs. Hurst and once with Miss Bingley, declined being introduced to any other lady, and spent the rest of the evening in walking about the room, speaking occasionally to one of his own party. His character was decided. He was the proudest, most disagreeable man in the world, and everybody hoped that he would never come there again. Amongst the most vi uh, violent against him was Mrs. Bennet, whose dislike of his general behavior was sharped, sharpened into particular resentment by his having slighted one of her daughters. I really like the line that says um, his character was decided here because that can have sort of a double meaning. It could mean what I think the reader is meant to initially expect, which is that his character was um, obviously this way, that basically uh, his actions themselves condemned him and there was no doubt that this is the kind of person he was. But it can also be seen in retrospect as his character was decided by the people there, by the people in the room, that his character was decided because someone decided that they thought they knew 
who he was after just a first impression, which plays really well thematically into the story. Uh, yeah, and and that's and that's exactly what what is going on here is that the the marriage and, and and actually as you read the book, it's interesting. As you read further into the book, you find that actually it's the women who have decided his character, but that the men um, don't have that same that same sense. In fact, you have when when Mister Wickham later on comes to uh, Longbourn and and dines with the Bennets and tells his story. And then as he's, as he's leaving, the father, Mr. Bennett, makes a couple of comments about how whiny, kind of how whiny Mr. Wickham is. And Elizabeth's like, but I believe he's truly been, you know, um, mistreated by Mr. Darcy. And Mr. Bennett says, well, that, yeah, he probably has. And you probably find that most young men of that, you know, <laughs> set are like that. So, so the women are just, uh, really angry about the way Mr. Darcy is acting and treating the, the community. And the men are just like, yeah, just another rich man. <laughs> it makes sense because the men haven't been slighted by not being asked to dance. Exactly. So it's this, it's this personal injury that the women are feeling um, that the men aren't. Right. And, and, and really most of this book is, is from the perspective of the women. It is very little from the perspective of the men. Um, you do get some of the men come in, such as Mr. Bennett um, and, Mr. and 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 um, Sir William Lucas, but both of those men seem to have a much more mild uh, reaction to Mr. Darcy than either, than any of the women. You know, Mr. Uh, Sir Sir William Lucas is always still trying to get him to dance with Mrs. Uh, or with Elizabeth Bennett. He's still he he just doesn't seem phased by by this the way the women are and and mr bennett like we said when he talked with mr with uh uh george wickham you find that he also it doesn't have the same negative response that the women have so it's just it's, it's an interesting thing level one are those are those actions and as as we start the book out with the i love how how uh, Jane Austen really just starts with these actions, yeah. throws them right into the Meriton ball, shows the action and and shows how we judge each other based on our actions. Those are our words and and our acts, our words and our deeds, the things that we do and the things that we say. And that the women are are highly offended by Mr. Darcy's actions, but they love Mr. Bingley's actions. He danced every dance. He danced with lots of different girls. He made himself acquainted with all of the principal people in in the room as you know as soon as he could. He so so his actions were those that were agreeable to these people and they loved him because of it. Whereas Mr. Bing Mr. Darcy's actions were the exact opposite and so the judgment like you said the um the uh character was decided right. yeah definitely um and that uh that grasp that jane austen has on um you know the human condition and how people work is what allows her to write um stories uh, especially Pride and Prejudice, with characters and relationships that are so real without having to sacrifice any of the 
uh, value of the entertainment. Yeah, and and so here's so and and you're gonna see that she's gonna continue working with actions, and we're gonna see these people's actions throughout the book. But it's interesting to me that she really kind of starts really strong with the action, and then later on we'll get more into the thoughts of the characters, um, and and how and what they're what each character is thinking. We do get the judgment. Um, here from the community and even from from Elizabeth and and Mrs. Bennett, um, but we'll see even more of that of of kind of the internal workings as she goes carries through this book further and further. And so I'm really excited to share with you these next levels of consciousness as they come up. Um, so as uh, as you you know the next time you get a chance to read this book or watch this movie, I. I hope that you'll be able to see these levels of consciousness in these characters and, and how they're portrayed by, by the author, by Jane Austen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess, yeah, go and read a good book, listen to some good music and, uh, we'll see you next time.